You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. I want you to turn in your scriptures this morning to Matthew 16. That's not Romans. And if you've taken a peek at the bulletin, we're not in Romans, at least not really in Romans today. But if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 16, we'll start in verse 13 in a minute. But um, as I mentioned in the bulletin last week, George and I were, uh, went down to Louisville last, last week uh, for a, together for the Gospel Conference. And it was a shorter week and a shorter prep time, and I just didn't want to prepare a little bit and then get into Romans 3, but take some time. So we'll get back to Romans 3 next week, Lord willing, but I want to take this time to share a little bit from, from our time at the conference this past week and hopefully and weave in scriptures and what I learned and pass it on to you in a way. And so to do that, we're just going to start in Matthew 16. And look at that. While you're getting there, I do have one picture from Otto from last week. And Otto drew this. And that's what we were celebrating last week. Not only Jesus' death on the cross, where he is no longer put in the grave and then raised to life and lives forever before uh, at the right hand of God. And so thank you, Otto, for drawing that. Kids, continue to keep up with this as you even hear this sermon Today. And you'll see some slide pictures in that, but think of things you can draw as you hear us go through the Word of God, things that would pop up in your mind um, of what we're learning here and draw those out. And appreciate the pictures that you draw, so thank you, Otto. Let's then first go to the Word of God, and then we'll, and then we'll go from there. So Matthew 16, I'm just going to read verses 13 through 23 here. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. Let's pray before we continue. Lord, I pray and I call out to you, would you lead our time in your word today as we cover various scriptures and places and accounts of this week. And I thank you for a good week in Louisville. And I thank you for sustaining each one of us that has gathered here this week. And I thank you that in your providence you have ordained that 
Each one is here today, sitting in their particular place, seat today. And so we want to come and we want to hear from you and your word. So we pray, Lord, that whatever shared would, would glorify you, would honor you, and that your spirit would move amongst our hearts to remember you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, what, vaca- what vacation, call it vacation, it was a Bible conference. What, what vacation is good without a few slides? So we're going to do a slideshow here. So Caleb's going to help us through that. A few pictures that will come up. Now, I don't have a lot. We won't be here for hours. It won't, uh, I don't know if you have memories of slideshows, but uh, George and I went down to Louisville, Kentucky, and this is the place. We were in the, uh, what, the convention center there, about 10,000, somewhere around 10,000. Uh, a lot of church leaders, pastors were there for this, so 10,000 people. You can go to the next one. I just threw a few in here. I thought this was a great slide. This was at the end. This is the last, and if I say T4G, it's the the abbreviation together for the gospel, T4G. I loved uh, Ecclesiastes 7, 8 at the end. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. This was at the, the last one. Normally, conferences just seem to go on. This one isn't. It's ending. And so this is the last one. So even that was kind of special but neat. You can go to the next one there. There we all are. We're singing, uh, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. How cool to, to sing with 10,000, basically a 10,000-person men's choir in the midst of it. It was beautiful, and yet there's a beauty of the local church here singing together. Don't miss that, but it's good. It's a taste, I think, of heaven of all the saints getting together to sing. There's another one. We can go to this one. Here's Mark Dever preaching. Uh, we got some good seats, thanks to George, and we worked that out to get good seats up front. You got to get early for those. We didn't hit anybody on our way to get those, but but we got them. You can go to the next one. There we are. To prove we were there, that's us. All right. And the next one, there's a fellow pastor from uh, Chatfield, Mike Gittens. And uh, I didn't know he was going to be there and found him there. That was really neat to see him. I I meet with him and a couple other pastors in the area for encouragement. Uh, So that was cool. The next one, I think this is the last one. This. Okay, what's the guy from the Coast Guard doing here? This is a friend from uh, Colorado, Micah Zeller. George and I were eating our last meal in Louisville at Joe's Crab Shack and having our crab, and we looked down, we see a Coast Guard barge going, and I knew Micah had gone into the Coast Guard, and I said, George, you know, what are the chances? George, wouldn't that be cool to see Micah here? Turns out he was on the barge that was going right that we were watching, and so we watched this barge, and George is texting him, figuring this out, and and uh, we couldn't get on the boat. We were kind of across the water. You know, there's a little gap there. But we got to wave and say hello to him. That's just one little snippet of God's or how he ordains things. And I hope you see that in your, in your own life. You see how God works these things. Why were we eating at this restaurant at this time? And here we run into Micah. And that was pretty cool. So I, I think that's the end of my slideshow, isn't it? Kate? Yeah, okay. That's the end of the slide. It's not the end of the sermon. That's the slideshow. So... But today, I want to recap a, a bit of what we heard. Um, I, I think there's benefit for you to hear it. So yes, it's a conference for pastors. There's benefit to all of us, and there's a selfish motive. You ever go to things, maybe, I'm sure, sermons, and by two days out, man, what did, I know Mike preached. I was there, and I can't even remember. It's just good to rehearse and go back over 
things that we have learned. And so selfishly, it's helping me to go back over the material. We listened to some, I counted it up, I think it's some 14 sermons, six panels on discussion. We sang some 30 songs all within a three-day period. And so thankfully, here I am. I've condensed it down into 35 minutes for you. And we'll see how this goes. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to try to hit on six passages. I only have four pages of notes, so it should be pretty normal, but we're going to look at six passages of Scripture because I do, again, want, want you to hear from the Word most of all and then look on it as others have guided us. So you've got some outline uh, in your notes if you want to use that, and it's a way just for me to highlight just out of other things, just four uh, things to remember coming out of this conference. And, and if you're interested to listen um, to some of these, Alistair Begg or John Piper, Mark Dever, a lot of others were there that I'll mention. Um, it's t4g.org, t, the number 4g.org, and you can listen to all of them on your own. And you can listen to 14 sermons this week and report back to me what you learned. But we'll just look through uh, a few of them and just some highlights. Number one, remember is to remember the significance of the gospel. That's in your notes. Remember the significance of the gospel. Kevin DeYoung uh, was our first speaker, which, by the way, married Brandon and Carrie years ago. I don't know how many years ago it was. Do you remember off the top of your head? I'm putting you on the spot. Was it? 17 years ago. So that was the first speaker. I, I did not get to meet him and uh, But uh, he was there, and that was really cool. And he brought out some great points regarding justification and uh, the need and importance of the doctrine of justification. Now, I had in my notes, maybe you'll be thankful, I had a long presentation on the justification, on what he shared, but I sidelined that, and I will wait because we're getting into that in Romans, and you'll hear me bring that out in the weeks to come. So I'm going to just set that aside for now, it's written down. We'll come back to it. Um, but that was, that was a great message. Another one was on the, uh, really where this idea of significance comes from a preacher named H.B. Charles, who preached about the significance of our own salvation. The call to pastors, and, and just lump, when I hear, you know, just lump that in with yourself as well. The call to pastors, though, is this need to savor the gospel ourselves. Here's what he said. You cannot faithfully serve the gospel. That's what the desire of the pastor is to do, to serve the gospel if you do not savor the gospel. What's the gospel? That Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised to life so that all might believe in him. Though they be sinners before a holy God, those that believe in Christ will be saved, reconciled to God, have eternal life in him. That's the gospel. And so the call is for us as pastors and for you, savor this gospel. May we never get too far away and say the gospel's just for a time and I'll get on to other more important things. It is the thing. It's significant. It's what brings us to God himself. Interestingly, he used 1 Peter 1 that, that Milt just read and it's so awesome because I wasn't going to read it. And so it's, you've already heard it this morning. Praise the Lord. Again, does God ordain? He does everything. But he made this statement, H.B. Charles did, as he looked through 1 Peter 1 and, and, and then as he preached. He said, you cannot find life in the Scriptures until you meet the life giver in the Scriptures. The Bible is a Jesus book from beginning 
to the end. And so as pastors, we need to savor, we need to remember the significance of our salvation, each of us to remember this amazing grace. We sing about it, we probably all know the song, Amazing Grace, that it would be amazing to us, that we'd still be singing about this grace and enjoying it. That's for anyone in Christ. But then under this heading of the significance of the gospel, I do want to aim towards one scripture here, and it's Psalm 67, if you want to turn there. One of the messages was uh, in part on Psalm 67 and a couple other messages came from there uh, by David Platt. And so if you look up Psalm 67, it's pretty short, it's seven verses, and I will read that to us. But his message was really preaching on the gospel going to the unreached people. He had a map up there showing where the unreached are. There's some three billion people that are yet unreached with the gospel. Three billion. Not, and he made clear, these are not three billion that have some sort of gospel. They're unreached with the gospel. Um, our country has the gospel. We wouldn't say by any means everybody knows the gospel. They know Christ, but we have access to the gospel. His point is these are three billion without access to the gospel. And so he used one of these passages uh, was part of his message. Listen to Psalm 67, 1 through 7, in terms of the nations. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth. Think of that. Who is the way? That's Jesus. But your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. Here's what Platt said. The ultimate goal of God, and this won't be unfamiliar to you, the ultimate goal of God is His glory. The ultimate goal of God is His glory enjoyed and exalted among the nations. And so, to us, the ultimate goal of every Christian then, the ultimate goal of every Christian and church is for God to be enjoyed and exalted among the nations. Going on to say, this is God's goal. And if it's not your goal, someone's goal needs to change. That was a powerful uh, statement to make. We want our goals to be in line with God's goal of His glory to be exalted and enjoyed among the nations. That ought to be our goal. And so he gave two conclusions regarding the Great Commission, which even we read through just last week in Easter uh, from Matthew 28. He had two conclusions. Number one, it's quite convicting, and and hear it, hear, hear the rebuke of it. Let it just stir us. He says, number one, if we are not living and dying to make disciples of unreached nations, then we are disobeying the Great Commission and disregarding the goal of God. And then number two conclusion was, by God's grace, you and your church have a unique and significant part to play 
in seeing all the nations enjoy and exalt God. We have a part to play in that. We are part of that commission. Quite practically, one takeaway for me was we have kind of a a missions board back here, and there's lots of pictures, and there's lots of people on there. But it came to me that there is one picture missing. It's yours. It says you, Y-O-U, you. Maybe I can find a mirror and put you on it and put that up there, that we are part of this commission to the nation. It's not just we'll let them do it to the nations. We do, we support them, and I'm thankful for the, the way that we support them. That's, that's one way that we do reach the unreached. Um, we have a part to play in that as well. If you know Christ and you know his gospels, it's not a commission for just missionaries. It's for each of his disciples to make disciples and to see the word go out. It may mean sending, sending others. It may mean uh, praying. I pray one day it may mean going, that someone from here, someone in, in this audience right now that's here would say, I want to go to the unreached. If they don't have the gospel at all, I want to go. And you're preparing for that thoughtfully and prayerfully. But it means that we desire this. So, one takeaway is to remember the significance of the gospel. Number two, there's a theme here. I'm just saying remember, be reminded, remember, remember to preach the word. And for that, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy 3. So Psalm 67, head to 2 Timothy 3. If your Bible gets to Hebrews, just come right before that, forward to that, 2 Timothy chapter 3. This idea of preaching uh, the word will be a familiar passage to you. Probably one of my favorite preachers, my favorite sermon was from a gentleman I had never heard before. Did you love that when you hear somebody and go, I didn't, you know, wasn't, you know, Piper was good, others were good, Platt was, was good. Um, it was a man named Christian Luanda. He's a pastor in Abu Dhabi in the UAE, United Arab Emirates. Raised in Kenya, I believe, so he's got this, the African accent and the rolling of the R's, you know. Um, Here is what he said to keep in mind at this pastor's conference before we look into 2 Timothy 3. He said this about the pastor's confidence, and, and this applies to all of us. Confidence, here's the confidence that he desires. Confidence that the Spirit of God will use the Word of God through the man of God, to build the church of God, to the glory of God. Confidence that the Spirit of God will use the word of God through the man of God to build the church of God to the glory of God. Look at 2 Timothy 3. Let me just read verses 14 through 17. But as for you, Paul says, continue in what you have learned and and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. God's, this is God's word alone and it makes you and I and the unreached for that matter wise for salvation and so the word 
is necessary for us to know salvation. We talked about that in Romans. There's a general innate sense and knowledge of God, but it's not enough to save, it's to condemn. But here the message of the gospel comes through the word of God. It's breathed out by God. This is God's word. And the the encouragement is to not try to fluff it up, try to make it something else and try to kind of put put a, a bunch of shiny, glittery things around it. Let the Word do the work. He used an illustration of, of rugby, which I don't know if you've ever played rugby. I never have. So that's something else. But you get an idea of, of rugby. And he talked about playing on a rugby team and having, um, I think he had had, th- their team had all the, the new shoes, the new outfit. Th- they got the great-looking uniforms. And the, the team that they were playing against had the, the sh- you know, the shoddy-looking stuff, the, the tattered clothes. It was from somewhere else in Kenya and he said, you know, we just looked at them and said, man, this is going to be easy. We've got an easy time. We're, we are all dressed in the right way. We're going to be set. And, he, and then he talked about just them getting clobbered by this team that didn't have all the fancy stuff, all the fancy shoes. His point and caution was this from that story, that we not place our confidence in something other than the word of God to do the work of God. It's just a great, for you, if you counsel somebody, if you're in somebody's life, trust the word to do the work. Yes, you are the messenger. I am a a preacher to proclaim the word, but it's the word that should do the work and trust it to do this. So we're to persist in the word. That was one of his three points. I'll just give the second one and not the third to skip for time's sake. But the second came from just reading a little further on. So let me read uh, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. There, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The danger that Christian, the speaker, the sees addressed here is that people prefer teachers to tell them what they want to hear, what their itching ears want to suit their own passions, and thus they turn away from the truth. And so the concern is moving away from the preaching of the word, the word, God's word, to just a worldly means of teaching. And here's the quote probably my favorite one of this. He said, The human soul is too heavy an object to be lifted into the presence of God by the twigs of entertainment. I'll read that again and then go on. The human soul is too heavy an object to be lifted into the presence of God by the twigs of entertainment. We don't need entertainment, he says. We need edification. When we preach, God turns simple sound into spiritual light. So that the God who said, let light shine in the darkness, shines in people's hearts that they may see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
by God's grace and his grace alone. That's my desire as your as one of your pastors, as a fellow elder, is to preach the word, to rightly handle the word, to study the word. But I too, like every other preacher, I am beset with my own weakness to do that very thing. But I want it to be your desire, that your desire is not, and we, we joke about this, it's not that we've got smoke machines that come out and we bring the lights and we get a certain mood and we get you just right so you can hear. That's what he's addressing. Oh, he's saying, don't trust in those exterior things. Or I ought to come in on a motorcycle and come up here. That'd be really cool. No, he's saying, look to the word. Preach the word. There's application. Fathers, in your home, preach the word. You are number one pastor in your home. Preach the word. All of us learn from the word. And I would just ask, I appreciate so many of you that pray for me in this ministry. Would you continue to pray that I would hold fast to the word? No, the, the fear is there's so much wandering. We see it in, in ministers that we, we look up to. But I would covet your prayers as well. So remember to preach the word. And I hope that's what you always in this congregation, kids, as you're hearing this, that you, as you grow up and begin to lead Bethany Bible, and none of us with gray hair are here any longer, that you say, we want to hear the word. Number three, connected. You know, it's always the preach the word and remember to love the people. Love the people. There's a call here to love the people. That's not, that's not only a call for the preacher, right? To love the people. It's for all of us to love the people. God has uniquely ordained for us right here in this room. This is the people. Yes, love the Christians elsewhere. We're a body of Christ, the universal church, as we think of that, all who put their faith in Christ. But this is the body, and this is the sheep that God has brought for me to love, for the elders to love. And so Sinclair Ferguson delivered a sermon based on 1 Peter 5. I'd invite you to turn there, so just beyond where Milt read from today. 1 Peter chapter 5, just if you're in 2 Timothy, keep going to the right. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. This idea of love bound up with the idea of shepherding the flock. Oops. Shepherding the flock. And elders, we can pay particular attention to this. We've seen this before. Here's the call, though, in in, uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Shepherding here is such a great description of the work of the pastor and elder. It's the call to care for the sheep of God in the same way that our great shepherd, the chief shepherd, does. To 
to be Psalm, if we think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, Jesus fulfills that. He is the shepherd, and now as under-shepherds, pastors, as elders, we too are to be Psalm 23-like in our care of the flock. So sometimes you might feel a hook from your shepherd, from other elders. May that hook, may it be a loving pull back to the Savior. Other times, may we as elders come along and gently lift you up because of a broken bone or care for your wounds that you might look to the true shepherd. Mira spoke about her, your sheep just this week that you cared for and you're so thankful today to praise the Lord. It's doing well. That's the idea of elders and pastors to care. Oh Lord, may your sheep be doing well to care for them. We are not the Savior, not by any means, but God's entrusted us to care for you. So the penetrating question for myself as a pastor, and and I think you can apply it in your own life, then was, was this. What view of God am I communicating from the pulpit? Whom do you hear? vital to preach the word. We just talked about that sermon by Christian Luanda, to preach the whole counsel of God. But I stand in one part as a, a fellow wandering sheep among you, and yet the call is again to shepherd, to lovingly point from the pulpit to say, look to Christ. May Christ guide this work here in our church at Bethany. Well, lastly, number four, I'm excited to get to and think about. The last thing to remember is this. Pretty short. Remember Christ. Remember Christ. Would you turn to 2 Samuel 7? We're almost done. We're we're almost in the last scripture. So uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. I believe he's still a pastor. I think he's chancellor of Reformed Theological Seminary, Legan Duncan. He spoke and he began with this passage with an aim towards the New Testament. 2 Samuel 7. I'm just going to read. He he read more of it. I'm just going to read a portion for you for time's sake. The setting here is David, King David, at rest from his enemies. And he looks and says, I'm living in a house of cedar. Here's the ark of God, and it's dwelling in a tent. Something's wrong with this. I need to build a house for for this ark. I I need to build a house for the Lord. But then it is Nathan that comes to him with a word from the Lord that essentially says, no, the Lord has a different plan. I've got another plan. It's really an eternal plan. And so let's pick it up in verse 12, and I'll just read through 17. 2 Samuel 7 Find verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, David, and you lie down with your fathers, this is God speaking, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, 
whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now, Legan spoke here in light of this passage and regarding what he said was really the biggest theological problem of the Old Testament. And we think, what is the biggest theological problem of the Old Testament? He points out here, after this, the kingdom of Solomon comes, but even Solomon would would die. And then the kingdom of Israel is divided into two. You've got the northern and southern kingdoms. And the people, you remember Israel, it's not hard to remember, they rebel and they sin, and the prophets warned the people. And eventually, by 2 Kings 25, it records the last tribe of Israel, Judah, is taken into exile. Some of them escaped. Some of the poor were left, but they were, they were exiled from the land. The walls of Jerusalem, so this house, Solomon built this temple, this city of Jerusalem, the walls are torn down, and the house is burned. And so the biggest theological problem in Israel is this. Have the promises of God failed? Where is, if God promised this forever kingdom and a forever house and a forever son of David, where is it? Where is this promise? That's the questions going on. It looked like everything had failed. Had the promises of God failed? But then, and it was cool because I was like, oh, we just, we were in kind of Matthew this last week in our Easter service. That's where Legan went. And he began to look through the book of Matthew to show that even in Matthew 1 and onward, here a descendant of David had come. Would you turn then to Matthew? Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The first verse of our New Testament. Here Matthew begins. He's going to begin in the, in the way that many parts of Genesis, this is what Legan pointed out, many begin. Uh, Genesis 5 says in this language, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Genesis 10 says these are the generation of the sons of Noah. Genesis eleven twenty seven says, now these are the generations of Terah, Abraham's father. Now look at Matthew 1, 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Something, and it's more like someone, had come. A new generation. In, in the, the form of Genesis, here's a genealogy of now Jesus Christ. Here's the one. Here's this. Where is the son of David? He's come. He's right here in the first verse of your New Testament. God was, and the point is, God was and is faithful to his promises. And then there's this language. There's language of John the Baptist as you get into chapter 3 of Matthew and chapter 4, Jesus' own preaching. There's language, this language that maybe some of us, including myself, sometimes look at and go, it's this language of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. I think we studied that when we were in Mark, that idea of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Ligon pointed out it was the call of the prophets, really, of, upon Israel 
back in this, in this time of sin. They were warning them, saying to Israel, turn from your sin or God's going to exile. You're going to be destroyed for your sin. There's that call to turn from it, repent. And you hear it in the New Testament, repent. And then the second part is, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Because the king was coming, that's near. And so lastly, look at Matthew 3. You're already there. That's not hard now. Matthew 3, verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 16, but it's in this setting of Jesus' baptism. John the Baptist, now baptizing Jesus. And at the end of that, we find verse 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So Legan points out, God makes clear that this Jesus is the Son of David. This is the Son promised to David. Solomon was a picture, but this is the one. This is the one. Jesus is the son, and this is the king who is bringing the kingdom. And so the New Testament shows this fulfillment of what we read in 2 Samuel 7. And there's application from this. What does this say? It says this, that God will fulfill all of his promises, and he fulfills all of his promises in Christ. So remember Christ. And in the theme of what Ligon pointed out near the end, here's a few things to remember some of these promises that Christ says to us. Promises we can hold on to. We already read about it in Matthew 16. I will build my church. Another promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. How do we know the promises? Because what God says, he does. What he promises, he fulfills. In this world, you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. I will give you peace. Our Sunday school class will know. What does he say? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Promises. Or I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also and I will come for you. And so Leon concludes, as this was the last conference, as I messaged, uh, last conference that I mentioned here, he concludes this, it does not matter that this conference is ending. Jesus will build his church. The one thing that kept me in ministry after a hard season in Kansas, after being an associate pastor there, was a thought along these lines. If Christ is not done with his church, then neither am I. That can be true for all. If if this is God's church and we bring our sin to it, we bring all of our sin in, but he's not done with his church. We live in a day of fracturing, and if you look in the evangelical world, there's fracturing that goes on and some of it is, is understandable. But maybe your favorite teacher of the word, maybe he has had a, a moral failure. Um, you probably know this. You know this. I'm a big John Piper fan. But John Piper's put out 
some things at times that you go, oh, just maybe don't, you know, put it that way. Um, others, pick, pick whoever. And we can begin to feel like, well, then who do, we, if, who do we look to? There's a great answer. The truth is, every human teacher, no matter who it is, they're not infallible. They're prone to error. Every man, every pastor is prone to error. I know that's a shock to you, right? About me. We're prone. We're fallible. But here's the great comfort coming from this, coming from Scripture, that Jesus is the forever Son of David. He's perfect. He will never fail. The Son still reigns, and He will reign forever. And as Matthew 16, 18 says, He will build His church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So let us not put our trust in men. Yes, learn from them. Listen to good teachers on the radio or on a podcast. Read good books. Don't take from this, you know, just the Bible. We want to be anchored here. Godly men, even godly men that fail, write truth. And so hear the truth that is there. Test it with the Scriptures. And I'm thankful for all those that have taught and things that I've read and learned from. But again, we need to look to Christ the Savior. None of those men, none of no pastor is the Savior. There is one. His name is Christ. He is the Lord. God's promises do not fail. All of them are fulfilled in Christ. And so if you be in Christ, He will never leave you neither, nor forsake you. Do you know the gospel? If you know what the gospel is, savor it. Remember it. Do do you own a copy of the Word of God? Do you have this? Hunger for it. Read it. Say, this is the Word. Yes, there's good books. There's good things to listen to. Let us be people, all of us, of the Word. Do you have people around you that God has called to Himself? Love them. And then do you wonder, do you worry about the future? Look to Christ and rest in Him. Let's pray. Lord, what a blessing it is to realize that all men are fallible, prone to error. Not so are you. You are forever perfect, immutable. You're unchangeable. You're all-powerful. You're all-knowing, eternally. Lord, may you grow us as a church. Lord, as I've grown this week in you from your word, and I'm thankful for it and the songs that have been sung and people to meet. And Lord, to be with your people today, this is the heart of ministry is to to be among, that our flock is among one another today to encourage one another. Lord, would you help us to be anchored to your word and to the Savior of the word, Jesus Christ. May may you be, Lord Jesus, what comes out of our lives and our lips and who we praise. Lord, help us when in our flesh we want to go other ways and look for what the world says will build us up. May we be anchored to you 
and anchor to you in your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.